acknowledge uh, the tragedy in Las Vegas. Uh, we actually have at least one person whose um, son was there at the concert um, during the shooting. Um, and, and I just want to say this, and then we're going to have just a moment of silence, and then I'll lead a prayer. I want to encourage us as Christ followers not to let this turn into something political. Um, I don't care which side of the fence you fall on. We have people for, you know, pro against guns and for guns. I, I don't really care. And I hope that all of us know and understand that the answer is not in any legislation. The answer for things like this has to do with the heart. And the, the problem is not whether or not people can get weapons or not get weapons. The problem is the hearts. And we, we have a, a darkness that we are dealing with in our country. And I just encourage all of us to seek Christ, to pray for the families and those that are affected by this, to pray for our country for fu because of future things, and to hopefully have an urgency, have an urgency that we are called as ambassadors of Christ to l share Christ with this world um, and, and to do our job. So let's just uh, have a moment of silence, pray for those involved, those affected, and for our country, and then I will close this in prayer. Father God, I thank you um, that there is hope in you, and yet we have a country that is trying to find hope in so many other things, and uh, we're coming up short in a lot of ways, and so God, I pray that as your people, we would feel, feel called um, to share your hope with this world. Um, God, we pray for our country, we pray that we would... Um, turn to you, that we would seek you. Um, God, we pray for the victims and those affected by this tragedy. We pray that they find peace and that they find you. Um, God, that they be drawn to you. Um, we just lift it all up into your hands and we pray these things in your name. Amen. Um, you know, uh, so we're in the second week of this series of Philippians, and we're going to be looking at Philippians 1, verse 12 through 30. I hope that you have taken some time to read Philippians. I've been encouraging you guys, read. If you read the whole book every week, it'd take you maybe 30 minutes. Uh, if you spent an hour a week in it, you could really do some digging in and really spend some time processing this as we're going through it. I encourage you to have your Bibles with you. Mark up uh, what we're talking about. Make notes in your Bibles. Take some time to really get into God's Word with this. And um, as, as we get into this week, it, it hit me. Um, it was really interesting that the thing with Vegas happened Sunday night, and then I started really preparing for this message. For me, it, it really kind of made me think. Um, the Vegas thing hit home. A little bit more personally for me than most of these tragedies, um, my brother and his wife were at, Jason Aldean was the one performing at the time, and my brother and his wife were at a Jason Aldean concert just two days prior.
prior to that. Uh, my, wife, uh, my wife and kids and I, we go to country music kind of concerts and festivals. And so just, there was just this, it really kind of made me stop and think. It made me think, why am I living? What, what am I living for? And do I live with purpose? And I think anytime people are affected with something like that, they, it makes us think about that. It makes us think, what is the purpose of this life I'm living? Am I just living to just kind of get through the day? Am I just living to go from one fun experience to the next, one pleasurable thing to the next until I die? Am, am I living to just keep getting, obtaining as much as I can obtain and then have it be over with? Am I living for family? What, what is it I'm, I'm living for? And <clears throat> today as we look at this passage, we're going to be looking at a guy who knew what he was living for. He, he understood why he walked this earth. One of my favorite movies is Braveheart. And uh, there's a lot of great lines in Braveheart and scenes. Um, but there's, and if you don't know the movie Braveheart, your number one thing on your to-do list for today when you go home is you need to watch Braveheart because you, something's wrong. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> so, um, I, but I love the movie Braveheart. And, and then towards the end of it, William Wallace is sentenced to die, not just die, but die an excruciating death. And the princess comes in and pleads with him to, take in, to bow before the king and, and, and pledges um, submission to him. And he refuses. And she says, but you're, you're going to die. He's going to kill you if you don't do this. And he, and he says this. He says, every man dies, but not every man truly lives. And he can say that because he knows that he lived his life with a conviction. He lived it out. And today as we look at Paul, Paul was another one that, and that I believe could say those exact words. And we're going to see that Paul kind of makes a confession of, of, of that to me as even maybe more powerful in, in what he proclaims. Now, we have to understand something about Paul before we get into this. Is Paul was writing this from prison. He was in his second prison sentence, and, then th and this time he was basically facing death. He was sentenced to die. And, and um, prior to that, Paul had been shipwrecked. He'd been stoned. He'd been whipped. And he'd faced a lot of adversity. I was thinking about that word adversity. And... You know, I think of the, like, the William Wallace character, I think of Paul, and I think of my life. And I'm like, I really have not had much adversity. I mean, when I, when I think of the things, you know, I, that I've gone through in my life, I've, I've had some hard things, you know. I was raised by my grandparents. My parents have addiction issues and all that kind of stuff. But really, when I compare that to the rest of the world and the, the things that are happening around the world, eh, eh it's not that much. You know, and, and when, I, when I look at the life I've had since then, I mean, you know, I, I, I like, we were, we were talking, someone and I were talking first service, that I got a, like a kink in my neck, you know, and like, that's my adversity. Right now, I got this little kink in my neck because my, my really awesome pillow wasn't, I didn't have it last week, and you know, that, that's what I'm dealing with, poor me, right? And we live in a culture where we think those are okay things to talk about. Like, we literally feel justified in talking about stupid things like that. And we feel like it's okay to say that. So, so my adversity I'm, I'm, is, is really, you know, it's not a lot. And, <clears throat> and yet I think these guys were able to say these kinds of things out of the adversity that they faced. 
But you know, then I got thinking about the word adversity in the Bible. And in, in the Bible, adversity, it refers to anything in the life of a believer that hinders the mind of Christ. Anything that might hinder the mind of Christ in a believer. So anything that gets in our way of Christ is our adversity. You know what my greatest adversity is? Comfort. I think if we're really honest, most of us in this culture would have to say that. The thing that gets in the way of Christ in our life most of the time is our comfort, is, is our distractions. We have so many choices. We have so many options. We have so many things that we can acquire, that we can go out and get. And, and these things are used by our adversary to distract us. So therefore, they are our adversity. And so we have to be very careful in that. In the midst of the adversity we face, that, those things which distract us from Christ, we have to really look at, are we seeking to have the attitude we're going to look at today, the attitude of Christ first and me second? Really, me third. Christ first, others second, and me third. Do, are we able, through that distraction, to keep our mind there? So we said that the, the sub-theme of going through Philippians is, is, you know, live with attitude. And so today, the, the attitude we're looking at is the attitude of Christ first. So how do we do that? How do we look at building an attitude of Christ first? How do, how do we build the attitude of Christ first in our life? <clears throat> I think the first thing we have to do and this is before we get into the subpoints, Christy. So don't don't put any subpoints up here. The, the, what we would really have to look at is we have to ask ourselves: Where is our focus? Are we focused on the external, what people see, or are we focused on what's underneath? Because until we focus on what's underneath, we're not going to have a Christ-first attitude. So this last week, I got the chance to. I was at a pastor's conference, and it was in Southern California. Now, anytime I'm in Southern California, I always try to make my way to the beach if I have some free time. Just mainly, I'm not even a huge beach person. My main reason is so I can take selfies there and send them to my kids and wife and make them jealous. But um, <laughs> that's only partially a joke. <laughs> so, so they love the beach. I like the beach. I do enjoy it, but they, like, live for the beach when we, when we were in Southern California. So, um, so I go down there. But I like to go like to the harbors, and when you're at the harbors, you, you can see these amazing sailboats. Now, I'm not talking about like sailboats like you see on Jordan now. I'm talking about big ocean sailboats, and people put a lot of money and a lot of time into these boats, and they're, they can be beautiful just to, just to look at, you know? Um, so, but you, you know one thing about a sailboat that I didn't learn until a couple, not, not too long ago, was that... As pretty as it is on top, if what keeps it afloat is underneath. What keeps it afloat is the keel and the ballast. That, 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 those are the things that keep a boat afloat. Because when that boat leaves that harbor in an ocean sailboat, they face huge storms sometimes. And in those huge storms, they need a lot of weight underneath to keep that nice, shiny thing afloat. And I think about that in our life. And I think a lot of us as Christians, we're so focused on the 
what's up top, that we're not spending any time focused on what actually keeps us afloat. We're like a guy buying a sailboat and it has a, no key, the keel's broken off and it has no ballast and he's like, oh, that's okay. And he just sits in the harbor all the time polishing all the metal on the boat but can't ever take it out because as soon as it hits a tough storm, it's going to tip. And a lot of us live our lives that way. We, we just kind of, we focus on what's on the outside. We're not focused on what's underneath. And so then we wonder why when we hit these really tough storms in life, we tip and we can't keep moving. We keep moving. We keep our focus on Christ. We keep Christ first when we take the time to focus on what's underneath. So as we're doing that, what, what kind of attitude should we have? The first one is that I want to talk about today is we need to learn to promote Jesus and not self. Before we get into it, let's go ahead and read Philippians 1, 12 through 30. It says this, Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Let's stop just there for a second. What did I say? I said we need to promote Jesus, not self. Listen to what Paul's saying. He's saying, now I want you to know that what's happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. What's happened? He's in prison. Now imagine hearing that for the first time. Imagine you're this kind of small church, maybe... Maybe it's about this many people, okay, by this point. We don't know how big it is. Probably, probably about this many people, maybe a little bit more. And <clears throat> the leader has been put in prison. And imagine just what you're, what you're going through thinking that. And, and it's not like, it's like, hey, well, he's in prison. We'll go down to the church down the street. No, that's, that's not how it works. There, that was the only, that's the church in that town. Um, and so, so that's, what, that's what you got. You're, the leader's in prison. Imagine the worry that they're going through. Imagine what, what they're thinking about, what, you know, how, just kind of maybe the anxiety they're facing. Imagine reading that for the first time. And here he is, and he says, hey, don't worry. Because what's happened to me is actually advancing our purpose. It's actually helping. I, I was trying to think, like, if I were Paul, like, you know, like if you saw uh, Shane went to jail, right? Um, and, and if it was actually for a real reason like Paul, that he was for literally advancing the gospel, it's considered that he's a dangerous person because he, he's disrupting all the, all the things of culture. I don't know about you, but I think as I think about that, I'd be like, what would I write? I'd probably write, help, really big, <laughs> right? Or, or pray for me, get me out of this. I don't want to be here. But Paul's mindset is, Hey, it's okay. It's okay. Because this is promoting Jesus. I'm not worried about myself. I'm worried about, does this promote Christ? I worry about people in business. I've, I've known a few people in business that <coughs> they have very godly principles in their business, but I've known a few that will say things like, well, I, I, I run my company through, through godly principles, and so God blesses it. And so, so I, I have all these, you know, we, we run these principles, and God blesses it. And I just keep running these principles, and God blesses it. And, and there's difference between giving credit to God. I'm, sometimes it's because they're just giving credit to God for the blessings. But uh, sometimes it's said in such a way that kind of makes it sound like, if 
I run my business with godly principles, God will always bless it. And what happens when that's not the case? Because I guarantee you, eventually, that there are times that that is not the case. See, if our mind is, if I do this, God blesses it. Is that, is that Jesus first? Am I doing that to promote Jesus? Not really. I'm actually doing it to promote myself. Because I'm like, I want my work to be blessed. I want my life to be blessed. So I'm going to do these principles. But there's a difference in saying, hey, we're, we run with godly principles, and it's awesome right now because God's blessing it, but you know what? To hit, to hit, he gets the glory, and as long as he's getting the glory, we don't really care how it goes. Okay, now that's, that's an awesome mindset. But I've known a couple guys that they just kind of have this, like, if-then, if-then mindset. And we have to be careful with that. We do, we that, we do that with our families, right? It, we're, and if we're not careful, we actually become more concerned with promoting our family than we are com- with promoting Christ. We kind of have this trade-off mindset. And then when tragedy comes, when adversity comes, we aren't prepared. Second, see the advantage of adversity. See the advantage of adversity. Look at what Paul says in 13 and 14. He says, as a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains... Most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. So here's Paul's facing this adversity, but he's seeing the advantage of it. He's saying, hey, look, Christ is being advanced throughout the whole palace guard because of what's happening. And and he says, sure, because of my change, some people people are being promoted and being encouraged to share Christ because of what's happening to me. He's seeing the advantage in this adversity that he's facing. If you think about that, I think about my life and I think about our culture and I think how often are we, like I said earlier, wanting life just to be easy, right? How often do we pray for peace and and pray for God just to make all the details work out? You ever just pray, God, man, I'm going into this. Just mess this whole thing up because I want to rely on nothing but you. You ever pray that? I've never prayed that prayer. But you know, you read the Bible, and, and most of the great things God has done has not, been, not happened because everything just worked out. But we, we, we live in this culture where we constantly want comfort. Like I said, I said before, if you, you want to get rich, invent something that makes people comfortable. Something that makes our lives easier or more comfortable, you will get rich. Because that is what we constantly seek. We have a kitchen tool for literally anything and everything you want to do. In that. My grandma was the best cook I've ever known. She had like a peeler, two knives, and a, and a grater. And, that would like, and she could cook anything. But now we've just got, we got a little tool for every little thing in the world, you know? Because, because we feel like. We, we've got to make something, stuff constantly easier for us. <clears throat> are you looking to constantly be comfortable? Or are you looking at, when you face adversity, are you looking at and saying, okay, God, show me what can happen through this. Show me how I can grow through this. Show me how you can be promoted through this. You know, I was thinking about this, and I thought about my, your, our phone screens. Let me ask you a question. Is your phone screen brighter in the daylight or in the dark? It's the same either way. 
Trick question, I'm sorry. It's the same. Your phone screen's the same brightness. It's not changing. But it shines brighter in the darkness, doesn't it? It, it, sh it, it creates a difference in the midst of the darkness. You know, I pull my screen out in the daytime, and sometimes the brightness of the, of the daylight, I can't even see my screen. But man, when I'm going, like, if I don't want to wake my wife up and I'm coming to bed later than her or something, I can just turn my phone screen on. I can walk around. I can, I can see things. I, it's fine. It's enough light. Because in the darkness, it, 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 create, it makes a difference. And I think we forget it's the adversity that we have faced in life that helps us make a difference. It's the, in the midst of the darkness that we go through that, that people see our light shine if our focus is on Christ. If our focus is in the right place. I, I admire police officers and EMTs and, and people in emergency kind of situations that can have strong faith. Because you're in a place where you get to shine your light. You know, contractors that, that have walk with strong faith and, and around a lot of guys oftentimes that, that, that are not living that way at all and, and to be able to shine that light. That's an awesome calling. And sure, sometimes it, you're in adverse situations. You got things that are falling apart. You got guys you can't rely on. You got clients that, you know, are trying to constantly scrape off your earnings and those kinds of things. But... But it's that adversity where oftentimes your light shines brighter than it ever will in this building. See, that light shines in that adversity. So take advantage of it. We need to look for the advantage of that. Next, don't take personal attacks personally. <clears throat> don't take personal attacks personally. Let's, look, let's go on. Let's look at what Paul says in verse 15 through 18. He says this. So he says, it's true that some, that are preach, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether false motives are true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. You hear, you hear that? Paul's hearing of these people taking advantage of the situation. And he's, and he's saying, hey, look, some of them have good motives, some have bad. I'm going to let God sort that out. I'm going to let God work, at, work, work on their motives. That's, that's a pretty big thing. Think about that. I, I get offended like when people just do little things to attack me. He's in prison facing death, and people are, are, are stirring up trouble for him. And he's like, hey, you know what? Let God sort that out. Don't you worry about it. He, in a sense, he's encouraging them. Look, don't get drawn into that. Don't take your focus off and try. You're, he, probably what was happening is the church was spending their, some of their time trying to squelch these people, trying to keep them down, not letting them do what they were doing. But while they're doing that, all their focus is off where it's supposed to be. Their focus is off actually sharing the right message, sharing the gospel, and, and keeping their hearts focused on Christ. And he's saying, hey, don't let the enemy pull you aside and, and, and down into that level. You stay focused where God has you focused, where God wants you. You stay focused on purpose. You live with purpose. And as you live with purpose, you 
will find that you are able to know why you're living. You're, no, you're able to go through life having the mindset of knowing that, hey, Christ is first and I am second. Have you ever had someone just personally attack you at work or attack your family? Our natural reaction is to lash out at it, right? To, to get pulled down to that level. But it almost never actually helps. It, it, it actually usually hurts the situation. And we actually end up letting a lot of our negative st stuff show rather than keeping it where it's supposed to stay. You, you've seen it work. The, you get pulled into the water cooler talk. You, get become, you become more focused on trying to spite each other than you actually did, anyone does on doing their job. People become more, more focused on you know, tearing each other down than actually accomplishing anything. And in the church, we do the same thing. We, if we get pulled down into that stuff and keep our, we get our focus off of who Jesus is and what Jesus is doing and, who, and what God wants to do in the church and in our lives, then the enemy is one. doesn't matter what you think someone's motives are. You just do what you do. You do what Christ has called you to. Don't get pulled in to that. <clears throat> Next, gain confidence from prayer in the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 19. Look what Paul says here. He says, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. You hear that? Through your prayers, this will work out to good. Right? Not by anything I'm doing. He's not saying that. Not by anything that we've worked out. It's not a plan. Through your prayers and through the work of the Holy Spirit. See, Paul believed in the power of prayer and he believed in the power of the Holy Spirit. We at Mountain View Fellowship, we believe in prayer. That's why we have those prayer cards. We want you to share your prayers with us so we, we can pray for you. And I'll tell you, I hope and I, I, I pray that you are praying for your church. That you're praying for Mountain View Fellowship. I hope that we're a part of your, your weekly prayers. I hope that you're praying for the leaders of Mountain View Fellowship. We covet those prayers. We need those prayers. I, I told you I was just came back from a, a conference, and it was a conference on church planting and growth. And, <coughs> and um, they, I, usually I'll go to something like that, and it's kind of invigorating, and I'm, I'm excited and afterwards. And, um, but I, so they, they have main sessions, and then they have seminars. And I left my last seminar, and there was only one main session left, and I left the last seminar and I told Tanya, I said, I, when I left, I, I probably haven't felt worse about myself than I have felt in probably three or four years. I just was feeling like, what in the world are you doing, Shane? This is, you're, this is ridiculous. You have no business being here. Um, I don't know if you guys know this, and this is something we, should, we can celebrate as a church, that only 15% of churches across the nation are growing. Only 15% of churches across the nation are growing. And Mountain View Fellowship has experienced growth Every single year since the day we started. Every single year we, we continue to experience growth. Only 4% of churches across the nation are involved in any way, shape, or form in planting other campuses or churches. And Mountain View Fellowship has a percentage of our, of our offering that goes towards 
planting other campuses and churches. And we've planted one, and we've gotten on the horizon others that we want to plant. And, and the problem is, so I was sitting there and listening to this, and I'm listening to this like intense, awesome organizational structure that this one church has put together for, for this, and I'm like going, oh, that hurts my head, and I don't know how to do that. And, and I look at so many of the guys that, that they are doing, like they're part of those kinds of churches, and I'm like, yeah, but God, you, look at that guy. He's like really cool. Like, like he, like, I am not that cool. And, and he like is really good at what he's doing. And I'm just like, yeah, God, our church, we have like cows in our backyard. Okay, God, this is not, this is, we're not in a cool hip town. That's not who, you know, I think it's a cool hip town, but you know, it's like, and, and I'm like, we don't have like this great spot where you can see us from a freeway. You have to like drive down this lane. It looks like you might be going to a cult. You don't know. And, and, and I'm like, God, it doesn't, this is not us. And I left there just going, oh, man, this, is, this isn't going to work, God. This isn't working. And it's funny because I went to the last, the last session, and I didn't want to go. I was like fighting God. I'm not, I don't want to go to this. I'm just going gonna, gonna to go pout somewhere and feel bad for myself somewhere, right? <clears throat> and, and literally, it was like God said, just, you know, just, he just like pushed me in. And I was like the whole time, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go, but... I literally was like my eight-year-old when I tell them to do something, right? I'm, I'm like, I'm going to go, but I'm going to sit in the very back. And, and I'm going to, and there's like bleachers, right? And, and so I'm, I'm like, I'm going to sit in the bleachers of this huge, massive church with this awesome facility. And, and I'm going to sit in the back in the dark. And, and I'm just going to do whatever. And I, I'm, gonna, I'm probably not even going to listen. I'm just going to be there. And, and, and I'm listening. And the last speaker gets up. And she said this. She said she she's uh, she's whatever the the um, the uh, hierarchy for um, uh, Salvation Army. She's like really high up in Salvation Army, and and she said this. She said, "If you're not in a place where you are scared and confused and and have anxiety over what God is calling you to do, you are not listening to God." And I just was like, "Ah." Oh! Gosh, that is so right. Oh, so. <laughs> but I'll tell you, my point is this. Here's what God. Here's what I, I. God was just speaking to me, saying, "It's not a matter of who you are. It's not a matter of where your church is. It's not a matter of if you guys have everything down right. It is going to be." Mountain View Fellowship is going to continue growing. Mountain View Fellowship is going to continue planting. Not because of any of that, but because you rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. Because you rely on me. Because you seek my face. And if we stop seeking God's face, we will be another statistic. We have got to be a people of prayer. We have got to be a people who allow the Holy Spirit to continue to work in us. So we covet your prayers. And I, I, my, I would say this. If I have one thing that I would just, if you're going to apply one thing from this, I would say go home and write it on your, your weekly calendar somewhere to pray for the church, to pray that God would move boldly in us and that we would submit boldly. Next thing, be clear on purpose and eternity. Be clear on purpose and eternity. Listen to Paul. 
He says this, so I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but that we'll have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. I'm just gonna stop right there real quick. Listen to that, he goes, I eagerly expect and hope that I no way will be ashamed, but I will have sufficient courage See, even as he's writing this, you just sense he's struggling. Like, I want to say, I want to be, I want to walk in fear. I want to live out of my fear, but I'm going to keep praying for the courage. Right? And it's, I don't know about you, but that's easy for me. It's easy for me to get in my fear and go, God, I just, it's, I like it here. And he's saying, no, I'm going to keep praying for the courage. He goes on. Look at verse 21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That to me is Paul's everyone, everyone dies, but not everyone truly lives. That's his statement. For me, I know how I'm living. I know what I'm living about. I know why I live. Dying, that's a gain. Because I know everyone's going to do it and I know where I'm going. But while I'm living, I know why I'm living. He goes on, if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. What, yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is by, better by far. But it is more necessary that, that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Man, I would encourage, obviously, verse 21, huge verse to underline. But I would underline this. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Think about that for a second. Because, see, I had to challenge myself on that this weekend. This week, I, I thought about that verse and I said, could I say that? See, do, do, I, do we see heaven as a promotion? Do we see heaven as the grad, like we've graduated? See, I know the Christian answer. I learned in fifth grade or whatever. I learned I'm supposed to say I want to go to heaven. But do I really believe that? Because I know when I really think about it, I, I think things like, oh, God, you know, hey, you know, if you take me, okay, God, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. But, man, I really want to see my grandkids. God, I really want to watch my children grow up. God, I want to I see the church continue to do things. God, I have this bucket list. God, I got this stuff. <clears throat> and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with, I mean, we want to want things in life. But could I really say it like Paul's, to, man, to, to be with Christ, that would be far better. Do I, do I really see it that way? I think for a lot of us, we kind of look at, man, this is the deal. This life, life right now, this is it. And, and heaven is just kind of like the consolation prize. Heaven is just like, you know, hey, if I know I got to die, so when I die, sure, I want to go to heaven. But really, I'm living for this life. I think that, that's a tough question I think we have to ask ourselves. What are, we, what are we really living for? Because, see, we can't answer like Paul until we realize what it is we're living for. And we really come to terms with that, and we really wrestle with that and struggle with that. You know, and even heaven nowadays. You ask the average, even Christ follower about heaven. One of it is we, we, we talk about being with our family. And I don't, I don't want to offend anyone. This is not meant to offend, okay? 
But honestly, it's not about your family. Going to heaven is not about you get to be reunited with family. And this whole idea that, oh, we, you know, we're going to be able to see everyone again, so what? You know, if I'm being honest, I only kind of liked half of them anyway. The, 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 <laughs> the, what, I, what, what, it, what it is, is we get to sit at the feet of Jesus. That's what it's supposed to be about. That's what we should be excited about. That's where our hearts should be focused. And until our heart is focused there, if our heart is focused on, oh, we get to be united in family, guess what? Family is going to be number one here on this life. Family is going to come over Jesus every single time. What's your focus on? What's my focus on? I, had, I really had to wrestle with that this week as I, as I just marinated on that passage. See, when you truly live for Christ, death means others lose because your life is about bringing them life instead of serving your needs, wants, and whims. Final, final point. We need to focus on others. <coughs> we need to focus on others. First of all, we see all throughout this passage. I mean, Paul's focus is saying, hey, don't worry about me. I mean, he's promoting Christ, but he's also kind of saying, hey, this is, you know, I want you guys to be okay here. But listen to what he says here. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Then whether I come and see you or only hear you about you in my absence, I know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. Man, there's another underline. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. What does that mean? I... I thought about that this week. What does it mean to conduct myself in a manner worthy of the gospel? Does it, does it mean we, we, we stop swearing? Does it mean we don't drink as much? Does, does it mean we vote right? No. It means we live our life in a way that promotes Christ and promotes others. That we live giving all to love all. That is a life worthy of the gospel. That's what Paul's calling us to. He'll, he'll deal with the rest if, we're, if our heart is in the right focus. It means living in such a way that it is, it is a loss for others when we graduate to be with Christ. The others feel like, man, I'm, I missed out because that person showed me something different. That person made me get closer to God. That person was drawing me to God. Do we have people in our life that would say that? I would, I would challenge us as a church, Mountain View Fellowship. Every one of us should have people in our lives. And I'm not, I mean, our family, of course. But we should have people, our clients, our coworkers, our neighbors, our, our people on our kids' teams that say, man, that person is showing me something about God. And if we were to go, that they would think, man, I, I wish they hadn't gone because I, I just felt like there was something there that I was wanting to know more about or they were telling me more about. I'll close with this. In a world that spends so much time focusing on the exterior, it's a difficult thing to keep our hearts full and focused on Christ. 
And in a world filled with so much chaos and mindless acts of violence and pain, I don't know about you, but I want to face the chaos. I want to face the pain. And I want to even face my own death knowing that I truly lived. Knowing that as Paul knew so confidently, for me to live is Christ. To die, that's gain. And in order to do that, we have to spend less time focusing on the exterior and more time focused on what's going to keep us afloat. More time focused on what's underneath. Let's pray. God, I, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your work in our life. <coughs> God, I thank you for your grace because I know there are so many times in life I cannot with confidence say for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. And yet, God, I, I, I want to seek that. I want that to be my heart's cry. Make that our heart's cry, God, as a church. May we seek you and find you. God, may we, may we desire to be second and you always first. You always on the throne. Finding the glory for you at all times. God, we thank you for your grace on us in those times that we just fall so short. God, help us to be a people that are just taking the time to focus on what's really going on underneath so that we can be second and you be first in your name.